0: Welcome to Global Minnesota Podcast, connecting, informing, and engaging Minnesotans with the world and exploring important international issues. For a complete list of programs and to join us, visit globalminnesota.org.
1: Good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, welcome to Global Minnesota's November Global Conversation. Tonight will be looking at the topic of Latino immigrants and the Minnesota economy. We have an incredible panel this evening, so we're very glad that you were able to join us. And um, we're gonna be getting right to that program very soon. But first, I need to thank a few people. First, all of you who are members, who make this kind of public programming possible, free and offered globally, your uh, over 70 years now of uh, support has made Global Minnesota able to do these kinds of amazing programs that meet our mission of advancing international understanding and engagement. Tonight's program is also possible by the support we receive from organizations and companies and institutions in our community. Thank you to all who are joining us tonight. We also have a special opportunity because those of you who decide to join us as members this evening, we're in our end of the year push. We have this very special uh, challenge grant match from the Anderlick Memorial Donor Fund. They'll match um, your gift and your membership this evening. And so um, also, you'll get a free registration to our big US foreign policy update. Um, it Happens every January this year on the 13th, virtually, of course. Um, with uh, Tom Hansen. Uh, It's one of our most popular and largest attended events all year long, and it's a chance to dig into where this um, somewhat upside-down world that we're in right at the moment where we're headed in lots of different areas. So right below uh, where you're watching on YouTube there that description, there's a link to join if you can uh, check out that information that's right there. We partner Uh, In these programs, our global conversation programs, with our good friends at the Minneapolis Central Library, uh, the Friends of the Hennepin County Libraries, and the Landmark Center, those are our partners uh, that we are often using when we are meeting in person. We hope someday, of course, to go back to in-person events, but we're always going to be uh, making these programs available worldwide to all audiences everywhere. And so um, we're very appreciative of our partnerships and we want to keep developing those. These are also part of a larger picture of discussions about foreign policy issues in general. The Foreign Policy Association of America has a very special um, program they call Great Decisions. We work with great decision groups all over the state who tackle important foreign policy questions and sometimes they're with uh, institutions. The Edina Senior Center, Friends of the Edina Library, the Washburn Library, the Plymouth Library, and the Consulate of Mexico is another of our partners uh, on this special program this evening. In fact, we're thrilled to have um, as a special guest uh, a recorded message from the ambassador of Mexico who was here visiting with us and being part of our Great Decisions Conference last year, uh, Ambassador Barcena, and we have a message for this entire audience uh, that she sent to us.
2: I want to thank Global Minnesota and its CEO, Mark Ritchie, for its efforts in favor of a more competitive North American region and a better understanding between our two countries and societies. I have very good memories of my last year trips to Minnesota to participate in the Great Decisions Conference, and I'm thankful for these invitations. There can be no serious discussion of the U.S. economy and Minnesota's economy without the role of the immigrant, Hispanic, and Mexican communities. In fact. The United States of today, before and after COVID-19, cannot be explained without the contribution of its Mexican community. This sanitary crisis has showcased that a big part of the essential labor force that keeps the country running is Hispanic, migrant and Mexican. Hispanics, migrants and Mexicans are the first line workers in hospitals, supermarkets and restaurants. They are also the agricultural workers that contribute to bring foods to people's table. In Minnesota, the first Mexican immigrants arrived at the beginning of the 20th century to work on railroads, beet fields, and the meatpacking industry. Today, 72% of the Latinos living in Minnesota are of Mexican origin. These Minnesotans of Mexican origin make significant economic contributions as consumer workers, entrepreneurs, and taxpayers. They represent a 3.5 billion buying power that generates thousands of jobs for Minnesotans. Moreover, there are seven Mexican companies present in the wonderful state of Minnesota that include Bimbo Bakeries, OMX Cinemas, and Mission Foods which also give jobs to many Minnesotans. Beyond their economic impact, they have also left their footprint in the arts, music, and gastronomic scenes. A report made by Professor Bruce Carey from Concordia University in 2020 suggests that investing in the Mexican community is critical for Minnesota's future. Therefore, I am glad to engage in these discussions that serve to raise the visibility of Latinos as an integral part of the prosperity of this nation, of this state. Thank you very much. Muchas gracias.
1: Welcome. Thank you muchas gracias. Uh,
3: First of all, I want to thank Global Minnesota and its CEO Marichi for the prompt and positive response when I proposed to host this webinar. I also want to thank our speakers for their enthusiastic and generous response to our invitation. As you know, Mexico has the largest consular network in the United States, and our priority function is to provide services and care to our resident community in this country, regardless of their immigration status. It is our, in our highest interest to change the stigma that migrants are a public burden. And for this, we must speak and highlight the great contributions they have made to this country and in particular to the state of Minnesota. Migration is one of the oldest phenomena of humanity. And we could not understand Europe or the United States without the great migrations that have occurred. The United States is itself a country of migrants. The reason why people migrate are many. They migrate from their places of origin for economic reasons, in search of better opportunities for their families. But they also flee for humanitarian reasons, seeking to save their lives, seeking not opportunities to have a better life, but the opportunity to stay alive. The level of misinformation that exists among the population about the migratory phenomenon is incredible. In April 2019, Congressman Ryan Winkler presented at the State Capitol an initiative to grant driver's licenses to undocumented immigrants. There were many negative reactions to this initiative. Some people said that by granting them driver's licenses, undocumented people could regularize their migratory status. False. By granting, by granting driver's licenses to undocumented people, we managed to have safer roads, since at least we are sure that they pass a driving test. They have insurance and it implies an economic benefit to the state, since they cannot transport merchandise in an efficient and safer way. Other people reacted asking why they were going to be giving this benefit for free. What they had done to deserve it. Why did they do this to deserve it? We forget. The value of their contributions to the economy and to the society of the United States. Just one example, thanks to the work that many undocumented workers do in the food industry, in meatpacking plants, in the fields, we have had food in our tables during this health crisis that we are experiencing during the pandemic caused by COVID-19. It is time to raise our voices. Be grateful and recognize the important contributions that the Latino community makes to the state of Minnesota. To see migration as an asset and as an opportunity, instead of to see it as a problem. And what better way to do it than by listening to our guests, to whom I give the warmest welcome. My dear friends, welcome and thank you for participating with us. Uh, Our first speaker is Dr. Bruce Corey. Dr. Corey is assistant vice president for government and community relations at Concordia University in San Paul. Dr. Corey, my first question for you is, you're one of the professors who has studied the potential and impact of the Mexican and Latino communities in the state of Minnesota. Why do you suggest in your reports that investing in these communities is critical for Minnesota's future?
4: Uh, Greetings, uh, Council General Guerrero and friend Mark Ritchie and and fellow panelists uh, and and viewers. I I really am honored to be part of this panel uh, to talk about uh, a topic that I've studied and wrote about for over two decades in in Minnesota, and that is the very uh, dynamic uh, and important economic contributions of the Latino populations in Minnesota. See, if we, if I were to sum up all the economic assets that uh, just uh, just the economic assets of, of, of the Latino population, uh, this would be about $12 billion. That includes income, real estate, businesses, and, and to keep it in, in some kind of a perspective, the entire GDP of Haiti is $8 billion. So $12 billion, compared to an entire country of $8 billion. If I were to add uh, to this amount, uh, various say the the lifetime earnings, that is the human capital component of the the Latino workers in Minnesota, this would come up to about $317 billion. And as a point of comparison, uh, the economy, the GDP of Chile, is $280 billion. So you can see that there is a very big impact and this community also pays an estimated $600 million in annual taxes, state and local taxes to Minnesota. Again, as a point of reference, uh, the GDP of Belize is 1.8 billion. So about half the GDP of Belize is the kind of money so a, a small community in Minnesota has such a dramatic impact. And then we look at, uh, as the ambassador mentioned in her remarks, uh, the, economic, the sectors like uh, f- food processing and construction and hospitality, uh, the Latino workers play such an important role uh, that if their presence were missing in the economy today, the, the Minnesota economy will for sure collapse because they're playing such such a vital role and we've seen that importance now in the, in the recent crisis too so um, so the, so the impact uh, in many ways uh, from the low skill uh, essential workers uh, as well as to uh, professionals like engineers and uh, pro- pro- professional service companies. Uh, their, Im- their impact is, is quite significant and, and widespread in the economy.
1: So, Dr. Corey, how does this fit into our uh, demographic squeeze with the aging population, uh, shortage of workers, shortage of skills, particular skills? How does this immigrant community fit into that necessity for going forward in our economy? Uh, the demographic squeeze basically is
5: that
4: you have a, an age, aging Minnesota population that requires a younger workforce to sustain them by virtue of taxpayers and, and uh, contribution to Social Security uh, that would support their lifestyles. And right now, there is a growing population but not enough growing younger population to sustain them. That's the demographic squeeze and that's where the Latino community comes in because it's a very young population and, 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 and uh, an illustration of the impact would be if I were to estimate if all the Latino youth in the school and university systems were to earn a bachelor's degree, that collective lifetime earnings is around $373 billion. That's the portfolio that the community is offering Minnesota, that if you invest in this portfolio of people, there could be very dramatic rewards for Minnesota to be globally competitive. And I'd like to point out that because there are all these barriers that uh, council general referred to and others have been referring to these barriers to this community uh, that this community is facing, there's been an economic impact, and I estimate the negative economic impact of the disparities on this on the Latino community to, to be at least $80 billion. So $80 billion, again, when you look at it in a relative sense, is a lot of, of impact that Minnesota, if it had invested wisely, would get an additional 600 to 700 million in annual taxes from this community if these gaps have been closed. So there's a very important reason why Minnesota needs to invest in this community for its own self self survival and uh, global competitiveness. That's why a group of us have launched the ALANA African Latino Asian Native American Brain Trust. And we have produced uh, the Minnesota solution, a blueprint of how we could invest in capital and capacity in our communities in order for us to become a very strong globally competitive economy. Great.
3: Thank you very much, that was just very interesting and it's a very interesting point of view since the uh, financial and since the, since, since the uh, economical perspective. Uh, well, uh, we have another, uh, our, our next speaker is Uri Camarena. Uh, Uri is Director of Business Consulting, MEDA. And Uri, uh, we don't have yet the official data from the 2020 census, but uh, currently uh, we have uh, about 303,000 uh, people of Latino origin living in Minnesota. And this has been, this, this community has characterized because it's a, a very entrepreneurial community that has achieved very important goals in, in the economy of Minnesota. Uh, currently, uh, there are about uh, 9,000 uh, businesses owned by Latinos. And in your experience as a consultant for a small and medium entrepreneurs, what are the main challenges and difficulties that Latinos face in opening a business and what kind of support can they find? First, first, uh,
6: thank you very much, uh, Consul General Guerrero and uh, Mark Ritchie, Global Minnesota. Just uh, very clear, very close to my heart. Um, we've all heard the the phrase "cash is king," and that is no different from the uh, the Latino community, Mexican community in Minnesota. Um, we uh, we have more challenges because, uh, as as a uh, as a community, we tend to rely on informal financing. Mexican and I'm talking about ourselves because I'm Mexican. We tend to rely on informal financing and we are generally averse to take on debt, which is great uh, because you don't want to settle yourself with a lot of debt, but at the same time, you need money to grow. So that is one impediment right now. Um, There's also another challenge which which comes with uh, uh, a greater financial risk related to lower credit scores. A limited credit history. Um, we've already heard some numbers, and uh, Professor Corey uh, indicated, you know, that the, the fact that we we have a very young um, community and uh, that participates in this economy. So, uh, with that, there are some challenges with credit history, and without a credit history, it's very difficult for a business to grow. Um, our community is also significantly. Uh, Challenge compared to others, because uh, we don't really have, as a majority, we don't have the friends and family network that would be able to uh, to finance our enterprise. So that is another source of um, of, of issues, and uh, also uh, the typical Latino family would will not go to. Um, conven- uh, institutions like uh, uh, CDFIs, uh, which are community, um, community investment institutions that take a higher risk on some of these businesses that may not have the credit history that, uh, that other businesses have.
1: <laughs> so, Uri, of those 9,000 Latino-owned businesses that have been created that are paying taxes, employing people, what are the sectors and how does that sector flow then impact the overall Minnesota economy?
6: Sure, um, you know, and, I, and I'm just talking about the, as, as a director of, of uh, the business consulting group at Mida, I'm talking to you about uh, the, the portfolio of clients that we have. So 30% of the clients that we have that are Latino businesses are mostly in the service industry, which is in this, Pandemic as as we are right now, it's it's a huge issue because of course they're the most uh, the most vulnerable um, people that are in the restaurant or in the hospitality business. They are very susceptible and they're very vulnerable to this to this environment that we're suffering right now. About twenty percent are in the administrative support uh, business. Uh, I would say about fifteen percent are in the professional services. Um, In hospitality, about 15%, and about another 10% on the retail business, um, which represents a challenge, really, because um, when you're looking at success in a business, you're looking at that scalability component, right? And the scalability component in many of these businesses is just lacking. It's just not there. Um, The the way that you produce outcome, in in many ways, it requires a lot of input. So that eliminates a lot of the scalability component that makes a business successful. So with with that uh, comes a challenge as well, because when you're looking at um, the numbers that we have been hearing from both uh, Ambassador Barcenas and Professor Corey, you know that the contribution of uh, Latino businesses to the whole economy, not just to the state, but to the U.S. in general, uh, exceeding $700 billion. Um, the, the problem is that uh, out of those $700 billion that we have in the U.S. economy that are contributed by the Latino businesses, only about 3% of those businesses grow to be over a million dollars in revenue. So that tells you that there are a lot of other businesses that are in the Latino community that are what I call lifestyle businesses. So. We need to work on that. And uh, how, that, um, how that would be alleviated, in my opinion, is that to, make, um, to make cash available to, uh, for these businesses to grow and to be able to contribute even more to the economy of the state and to the economy of the country.
1: So there have been some examples of large companies that are Mexico-based or based in other parts of Latin America, who either partner with major Minnesota companies or become investors or owners of those. Is that a trend that we'll see more of? Does that impact other parts of the Latino contribution to our whole economy?
6: Yes, with, with uh, uh, um, not a caveat, but with, with a, uh, I have to qualify this because those are companies that have that scalability component that I was talking about before, Mark. You know, the, we, we are talking mostly the the, the contributions of the, of the Latinos in Minnesota, while being very significant, has been in the area of lifestyle businesses or family businesses or small businesses that uh, still it, it contribute to uh, 10,000 plus employees in the state. I'm not minimizing that, but what would we like to see is we would like to have that scalability component that scalability component sometimes is difficult to reach because in order to have that component, first of all, you have to have the talent in integrated into the, into, the, uh, into the company, and also you have to have the credit in order to make it work. So that's, those are challenges. We
3: have uh, a quick question. What was your experience lately uh, working with Latino community? Because you know that Latino community, Hispanic community, has been very affected, uh, not just by COVID-19, but also for the demonstrations by uh, Mr. George Floyd uh, murder. So what, was, what has been your uh, experience in the cover of the uh, Latino business people?
6: Uh, well. Um... You know, uh, I hate to be a fatalist, you know, but uh, it's been devastating. Um, if you if you're looking at uh, what what happened along the corridor of Lake Street, uh, which is uh, where most of the demonstration took place, and in, uh, in the South Minneapolis area, were uh, and I was referring before to the service industry, right? So we have shops, we have restaurants that were affected that frankly, they are not gonna be able to make it out of this crisis. Um, they, they were already operating with very small margins and uh, those margins are now not even existent, right? So um, it, is, it is worrisome. Um, I, I'm really excited about this to see that, you know, how the community has responded in general, but we need, we need a lot more than what we have right now. And uh, we're not out of the, out of the crisis yet. And uh, so we have to come to terms that some of these businesses are not going to be able to make it. Um, I said before, I don't want to be a fatalist, but I want to be a realist. And that's really what's going on right now. So these folks are going to need our help more than ever before. Our next
3: speaker is Mayor Maria Regan Gonzalez. Uh, Maria is Mayor of the city of Richfield. And as my Maria, Maria is a Mexican national, also. Uh, she was born in the state of Mexico, in the Estado de Mexico. So, Maria, welcome to, to this uh, program. And uh, well, uh, unfortunately, we don't have the up to date, but according with the 2010 uh, census, Richfield population was over 35,000 uh, people. Uh, and seventeen about 17% of that uh, population. Is of Hispanic or Latino background. Uh, that's you know that's uh, that 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 amount that percentage has grown. So we calculate that we have about 7.9 more Latino uh, people. So for you, as mayor of uh, of uh, one of the Milenares uh, cities with uh, the highest number of Latino population. Uh, what are the main benefits that you consider the community of Latino or G- origin has brought to the city of Richfield from the economic, but more important from the political and social uh, and cultural spheres? And how do you consider that the Anglo population or of or the other ethnic groups have benefited from the arrival of the community of Latino origin to Richfield?
0: Well, hi, good evening everybody. I'm Mayor Maria Regan Gonzalez, um, and I just want to first say thank you to Global Minnesota for hosting this extremely important conversation. Um, And to say that I am so honored to be here with everyone on the panel tonight, everybody here are, um, everyone is a leader that I really look up to, and I'm extremely grateful for the contributions that they've given to our community and to our state. So it's great to be a part of this tonight. So in terms of the, of the role of the Latino community in Richfield, I'll just say it very directly, Richfield wouldn't be Richfield today and we wouldn't exist if it wasn't for the Latino community in our city. Um, So, as you said, you know, the 2010 census was less than 20% of Latinos in in our city, which is quite high, and it's much more than that in reality today. If you look at our schools, our schools are 72% students of color in Richfield, and 40% of all of our students in the public school district are Latino students. So, we would not have the thriving city. We wouldn't have the school district. We wouldn't have children um, and, and, and growth with families in our city if it wasn't for Latinos. They're almost half of all of our students in our schools today. So that is, you know, Latino community members who have invested in building and growing their roots here in the city of Richfield, um, raising their children here, investing, playing in our parks, starting stores. Um, The past three years, Richfield has been um, named the best suburb to live in, has one of the best housing markets, and is a city that so many businesses and families are coming to because they want to live in Richfield. And it is because it's a diverse city, it's affordable, it's an excellent location. And a lot of that has to do with the community who has been investing in the city for many, many years. And one of those largest communities is a Latino community. Um, we have amazing small businesses in Richfield that people come to, like on Andaletaqueria. We had La Raza radio station decide to come and locate here because of our thriving Latino community. So um, if it wasn't for our Latino community, Richfield would not be the amazing city that we are today. And honestly, we're going through a revitalization that we've never seen in our city before. And I really credit our community for helping lead that. Um, In terms of politically, you know, Richfield is um, very lucky to have a lot of Latino representation. So we have um, Paula Cole, who is a Dominicana on our school board. We have um, myself, a biracial Latina Chicana from Mexico um, as our mayor. We have um, Patricia Torres-Rey as our senadora. We have Edwina Garcia, who's on our city council, who was the first woman of color to ever be bo- voted into state office in Minnesota. So if it wasn't for Edwina leading the way, so many of us wouldn't be in office today. And I really credit her for, for mentoring me, mentoring Patricia, and mentoring so many people. Um, On our city council, we have five people and three of the five city council members are Latino. Simon Troutman has a Puerto Rican parent. Um, Edwina is Mexicana and myself. And so um, I just am very thankful for the contributions in our community and in Richfield specifically, because if it wasn't for our Latino community, we wouldn't be where we are today. And that's because families have invested over years and generations in in our city and that's
1: what makes it great. Mayor, what have been the challenges? You know, we're all people and schools have to be staffed and grown and all services. What have been some of the challenges that you've been able to see as part of this deepening and, and widening diversity in Richfield and in the broader community where Richfield is really part of a whole metropolitan region?
0: Well, I would say, you know, the systematic um, disinvestment in the Latino community. So even though the Latino community is, has a large responsibility for making our city the great city that we are today, the majority of our families are not homeowners, which is one of the um, primary ways that families can build wealth and housing stability. So access to buying homes is a difficulty. Um, we know that in Minnesota, we have some of the worst racial inequities. You name the outcome, we have the worst racial inequities in this state, including for our Latino families, for our students, um, for, you know, incomes. You, you name the outcome, we have horrible racial inequities. And, and that um, greatly impacts our, our community. And we see that in Richfield. So 46% of our COVID cases, positive COVID cases, are Latino residents. And it's absolutely heartbreaking. So I think um, the stripping of wealth of our community and the disinvestment and and it's rooted in racism of this country, Um, you know, the oppression of the Latino community so that white community members can benefit has really, um, really impacted our families. And it just becomes a cycle um, where Thing upon thing is layered upon one another and it's hard for our families to get ahead and our families are very resilient, um, but the systematic oppression of our families is really has been the biggest barrier and you see it in so many different ways.
1: And there are there some things that Richfield has done in particular special things that are moving and changing this outcome and changing the, the overall situation.
0: Yeah, you know it. It takes um, a long time to address these type of structural issues, and you know that is the reason why I, I decided to run for office. But we did something. I'm a public health professional, so I asked the the city to please do an assessment on the connection of health and housing in our city. And we found that we had the worst racial inequity in Minnesota in home ownership rates. So what we did is we created a down payment assistance program to give 0% interest, 100% forgivable, $15,000 loans for families to buy their first homes here in Richfield. And we really scoped that out so that we could ensure that um, the community members who really um, traditionally don't have access to housing, that it was for these families and specifically. Um, So we're putting policies in place to make sure that issues like labor trafficking and wage theft that really impact our community as well we put a public policy in place a couple ordinances um, in richfield around that we're focusing on affordable housing and housing stability as well so um, we're looking at things talking to community and saying hey let's convert some softball fields into soccer fields let's make sure we're staffing um you know, our motor, our motor vehicle department and our other departments that the community is interfacing with, with bilingual, bicultural um, community members and working with our schools to do internships and building our leadership from our youth in the schools. So those are some of the things that we're doing, but it takes a lot of work um, and, and it can't just be government. It can't just be community. It has to be everyone um, across across our state.
4: Mayor,
3: thank you very much. I don't know if Mark has another question for the mayor. Thank you very much. It's like, you know, it's like very important the job that you do for the Latino community. And thank you very much for your efforts for the well being of our Latino community in Richfield. For sure, we will keep collaborating with you. Uh, now, we are very delighted to have with us uh, to Rosa Talk. Uh, Rosa is Executive uh, Director for Minnesota Council of Latino Affairs, uh, PLAC. And well, uh, first of all, I want to make a personal question for Rosa. Uh, Rosa, we all know that being an immigrant is not easy. It's a, a really difficult path that we have uh, to, to walk to to become a successful immigrant. Uh, you yourself, Came to this country from Guatemala from Central America and you know i think that would be very uh, illustrative for us if you briefly could uh, describe the challenges that you have to face or maybe also the frustrations that you have to face uh, to become a, to to, to on, until you get a this position that you currently have as director director of MPLA. so it would be very important for us to know your experience as Latina coming to
7: this country. Sure, thank you so much, Consul Gerardo for this invitation and also to Mark Ricci and Global Minnesota for hosting this important conversation. uh, Very much like uh, Mayor Reagan Gonzalez uh, said, Uh, it's uh, really a privilege to be here with uh, um, a very talented group of experts and also community leaders. Minnesotanos, who um, I think are making uh, Minnesota a more inclusive, uh, equitable, and innovative innovative place. Uh, So, thank you for that question. You know, I've been reflecting about that in the last days. uh, As as this year I am celebrating 15 years of living permanently in Minnesota, I am a quinceañera this month. Uh, So, It's a very uh, timely question. Um, After earning my master's degree in public policy here at the Humphrey School of Public Affairs, uh, I decided with my gringo husband to stay in Minnesota and grow roots here. So I've been permanently here since uh, 2005. It goes uh, very fast. Um, so looking in retrospective uh, uh, console, uh I think that I've been very privileged, you know, uh, in the sense that I migrated from, uh, from Guatemala, from Guatemala City uh, as an adult. Uh, uh, so I came here with a career and professional experience behind me, and uh, I guess that it helped a lot that I have multicultural and multilingual skills that open doors for me, even though I had uh, at that time maybe one or two connections and not networks at all in the state, uh, so like a majority of uh, the, the majority of immigrants, uh, still I had to start from zero, from scratch, uh, although with already some foundations. So I, I have to acknowledge that and recognize that. But it's also important to note uh, when we talk about uh, contributions of um, Latino immigrants in the state and in the US, uh, that um, the public sector, the public sector where I have worked for 13 of my 15 15 years uh, in, in, in Minnesota, the public sector is traditionally and historically more open to people of color, to immigrants, and to start and foster a, a career in public service. I think that that's also something that helps. Uh, it's a civil service uh, in a system that is based in merits and tends to be more open or more amenable to diverse workers. Uh, I'm not saying that it's perfect. I think that we have already indicated some of the structural uh, racist uh, Uh, systems uh, that are in place. And so there's still a lot of work uh, and progress to make in terms of inclusion, in terms of equity and diversity of uh, public sector and of public officials. Um, But uh, given my specific circumstances, I guess that um, I have been able to contribute in the public sector for more than a decade. working for the state of Minnesota for government and particularly during this pandemic and the crises that have uh, occurred after the killing of Mr. George Floyd, I have noticed uh, the amount of uh, uh, Latinos working in the public sector making also a contribution in, uh, in government. Uh, but I would say that in terms of the challenges and frustrations that um, I have faced and uh, maybe similar to what others experience is that this story, my story, has been much more difficult to convey to the larger mainstream public uh, or the community. Um, I opened that door uh, but uh, when it was up to me to see what was behind the door and what would lead me towards, um, I have seen also more I've seen both. I've seen a road with lights and promises, but I've seen also more obscure and opaque trails where barriers uh, have seemed, seemed many times uh, difficult to, to surmount. You know? So like uh, many immigrants uh, coming from Latin America, uh, I mean, we, we have faced uh, the harsh anti-immigrant discourse uh, as somebody was saying, the stigma that is placed on immigrants and refugees who are seen as problems and not as assets, as we've been discussing uh, tonight. There's micro and macro aggressions, uh, ongoing discrimination, racism. And those are obstacles that no career or experience can prepare you for when you migrate uh, to, to, this, uh, to this country or other countries. Um, where these systems uh, of, um, of exclusion continue. Um, so uh, I would say that my journey has had to, to, to balance those different experiences and negotiate continuously um, in front of the larger public around um, what it is to be an immigrant and an immigrant from Latin America. As we were mentioning, uh, and as we learned after the presidential elections, everybody was discovering that Latinos are not a monolith or a monolithic community. We are very diverse. And uh, so making also um, uh, more visible the the diversity that exists in our communities has also been um, one of the important um, information and education Uh, for our communities, uh, broadly speaking, but also for legislators, for policymakers, uh, and uh, for for leaders uh, to take into consideration in terms of targeting and uh, uh, drafting policy that is geared to a very um, diverse community of immigrants who have settled here and who have been here for many decades, and also those Latino Americans uh, who are U.S. citizens and who have been here for generations, and as uh, Ambassador Ambassador was saying, since the beginning of the 20s, uh, for, for immigrants from Mexico from the beginning of the 20th century, and then for um, uh, other Latinos, particularly of Mexican uh, uh, origin, uh, since uh, the 16th century, the 15th century. So, so well, those so- are, uh, yeah.
1: I'd love to know more about this Minnesota Council of Latin Affairs because it seems like there's a, a place where some of these uh, educational activities and policy changing activities can be organized and coordinated and then brought to the larger community.
7: Yeah, definitely. So one of our roles uh, again is to uh, educate and um, make recommendations and work on legislation that uh, benefits Latinos across the state. And we focus particularly on two issues, two main issues, which is uh, education and economic development and taxes. Uh, and so the conversation that we are having tonight, I think that is very rich in the sense that uh, when we go to the legislature, when we go uh, to talk to policymakers, uh, when we go, Uh, talking with commissioners and others, uh, we can highlight those contributions. uh, The importance of how investing in Latinos, as Mayor Reagan Gonzalez was saying, investing in Latinos is the best return on investment that the state can achieve for all the different uh, reasons that the panelists uh, have already discussed. So um, there needs to be an equitable uh, there needs to be equitable investments in education, access to healthcare, and intentional efforts to close opportunity gaps. I think that uh, Latino families would have been in a much uh, better situation, much better prepared to cope to cope with COVID-19, as we were saying, if there hadn't been these, these investments in communities that need to be reciprocated based on um, the the contribution that we make to the tax base of our local communities, as uh, Maria was indicating, and other communities across the state, particularly in greater Minnesota, that that have revitalized those economies and those uh, towns. Um, So I think that that's part of the the work that we do, and we do that in communication, and uh, we try to do that also convening the community around listening sessions, and we have very much focused our attention in Greater Minnesota because we are also interested in closing that gap, that geographical gap uh, between rural and uh, urban and metropolitan and suburban towns, so that um, those policymakers are also aware of uh, what's happening in Greater Minnesota regarding our communities, and we try to do that with a in- community-informed agenda. Uh, so that we can convey the stories and the narratives that are important to, con- to change nowadays in terms of uh, la- Latinos in the state.
3: Thank you very much, Rosa, for your explanation. It's like, very interesting. And you know, it's for us as Latinos, it's like, very important to have you in that position because you are going to be like, a key element in order to push and to help us to, uh, to build uh, public policies for uh, La- a Latino community. I always claim, and I understand this perfectly well, that uh, for example, Minnesota is a very diverse state that has not just migration from Latin America, but also from Somalia and monks, and you know from other places. And we understand that that people come to to to, to, to this state as refugees, which is which makes a big difference uh, because they have a work permit and they are allowed to stay to stay legally here in the United States. But Latinos are also a very important, uh, you know. Uh, population that we have here. And, uh, you know, I have talked about this with uh, legislators and with the governor, the lieutenant governor, and I have, uh, you know, make a call that is very important to start building public policies directed for Latinos. So, to have you there is, like, amazing. So, thank you very much for all the job that you do.
6: Sure.
3: Uh, Now, we have uh, the privilege to have with us uh, David Timan. Uh, David Timan is Executive uh, Vice President of Innovation for Fairball Foods. Uh, Fairball Foods is a very traditional Minnesota company in the food industry, which very few people know it, but recently was acquired, just in 2014, was acquired by a very uh, important uh, Mexican uh, company, which is La Costeña. So uh, we are very proud to have La Costeña here in Minnesota. Uh, for sure, a lot of people has eaten beans and pasta made by La Costeña or by, by Fairfood Foods, and uh, it you know it's as the, it's the same case that in the Richfield uh, we don't have the information of the census of the 2020 census, but according with the 2010 census, uh, approximately uh, 13% of the population of Fairfood uh, was uh, from is from uh, Latin origin. Uh, Despite that the demography of the city is built by other ethnic groups like whites, Afro-Americans, or Asians, uh, you know uh, we understand that uh, verbal Foods generates approximately 400 jobs, something like that. And you, as a company, do you find any particular characteristic in Latino population that makes attractive for you as a company? to hire Latinos instead to hire people of other ethnic groups?
5: Thank you, Gerardo. Thank you, Global Minnesota for having me on today. It's an honor to speak to the group. Uh, Absolutely, Faribault Foods has been in Faribault, Minnesota since 1895. So we've got a long history in the state of Minnesota. Um, And basically, I've been with the company for over 15 years based in Faribault. And since that time, I've always had a large part of our group is Latino background. I would say currently approximately 50% of our workforce is Latino in origin, and many of them are Spanish-speaking only. we have always been a very big supporter of that for the time I've been there. Uh, Farewell Foods, uh, as you mentioned, was purchased by a company out in Mexico City, La Cristina, in 2014 but we've always had a large Latino group. The Latino group is such an important piece of our culture and the fact that all our jobs or our requirements are met really well by the Latino Camino community and the opportunities they provide us to make the products we do. We make many different products and we're in the canned food industry, it's our primary area and really we have relied on that community since the very beginning and just continues to grow that relationship. Um, so faithfully, really a big part of our business is the Latino community.
1: I'm always amazed when I go to Fairball the industrial base of that community and nearby Owatonna, d- industrial base, many uh, larger employers and I think you know, many Minnesotans may not have seen that kind of development, but as you mentioned, you go back to the 1890s, Faribault Mills goes back even a little bit further. is yes. uh, It seems like you've built a community that has a diversity of sizes and industry types and focus that has created a resilient and a welcoming place that a large company in Mexico said, that's where we want to be part of the growth. That's where we wanna be part of the community. Can you tell us a little bit more about Faribault and what's special about it that attracts this vibrant economy and how that vibrant economy supports the community? Yeah,
5: that's a great comment there. Uh, Faribault is a really unique community and it's a very industrial community as far as its manufacturing base. But the companies you look at there, uh, saint Gobain, a French company, Daikin, in a company that's very international based. Uh, we have other international companies in the city. And so it's really very much based that way that we are very much a draw. And they look a lot at that workforce that we have there, the diversity of the workforce, and really the acceptingness of that workforce. And that workforce can support us because it's a very willing workforce and the workforce that learns. Um, one of the big things we have is we have real struggles finding people who can fill all the different levels and positions in our business. We have very technical jobs as far as mechanics go in electronics and automation. And it's hard to find people in those fields. And the Latino community has adopted that mindset to learn these things and really continue to grow that base. As we look at our future and we could continue to add engineering. We're looking to that base to continue to grow. Um, My job in innovation and technology, I'm in desperate need continually to find people that can have that technical background that we need in the sciences and the mathematics and the Latino community has really decided that that adapted it. And the Faribault community has also really taken on that community. If you look at the school system. They've really partnered with us as well as all the other businesses to grow this community and really focus on that science, math that we all talk about, those STEM subjects that we all need to grow the businesses.
1: And have you partnered with uh, colleges or technical schools um, in addition to the high schools and the, the K-12 system?
5: Yeah, South Central College and us, we've worked very closely together to develop programs to support us as well as the local businesses, and we've also worked with Dunwoody Technology School and so forth, and also Anoka Ramsey. Um, So a lot of the technical colleges, that's where really one of our big needs is, is in those technical fields, and so those communities, we've partnered with all those. The state of Minnesota. We've actually had several grants through the state of Minnesota to work with South Central and Anoka Ramsey College to actually develop programs to support things such as robotics, uh, you know, food science programs that are necessary in a business like ours, as well as you know the surrounding businesses. The robotics and the controls technologies, especially, are big things in the Faribault region, so it's really important for us.
1: Well, I'm struck by um, some of these uh, businesses that you mentioned. Daikin, for example, is the world's largest heating and cooling and air conditioning company based in Japan. They made a decision to pick Bearable to be the place to put one of their most advanced uh, manufacturing plants, and it's a development plant. Saint-Gobain looked around and saw this glass company, Sage Glass, and said that is the most innovative glass ca- technology on the planet we're in the business of innovative glass technology, we should become part of and partner with and take uh, within our sort of family of companies, uh, Sage Glass, And, and so these are recognitions of Faribault's development of the accomplishments of many, many generations of people in Faribault who then are being recognized on the global stage as being crucial for you know, this sort of innovation, high technology future. must make folks very proud in Faribault to have uh, your company and others get this global recognition.
5: Yes, absolutely. It's great for the community. We really appreciate the investment into the community and really the opportunities that they provide the community as well as vice versa that we give them. And it really is a great partnership. The local leadership, the mayor, the you know whole city council, the local government, everybody is in supportive of everybody working together to get these things done. We meet on a regular basis down there amongst the industry groups to really figure out ways to support. And the Latino community is a huge chunk of our business. And it's a huge chunk, you know, both from a consumer side as well as many of our products are made for the Latino community. And we want to continue to grow and foster that in our workforce as part of our, as part of my group in research and development, finding the proper product mix that really supports that community too. It makes it happy for everyone. So really there's just such great opportunity and uh, Faribault community is
6: really
3: adapted to that, we appreciate that. David, I'm just going to make a quick question. It's the same question I did for Major Regan, González Regan, Regan González sorry. You, that you are in Faribault Foods, briefly, could you describe what are the, you know, the impact that the Latino community has in the city of Faribault?
5: Yeah, City of Faribault, you said that 13%. I'm sure it is a larger percentage of the city now is more than 13% Latino. But it is, it's a cornerstone of our community. Um, You look at a lot of the small businesses, they're Latino in origin, and there's a really support structure for the Latino community within the community. Um, Really, without that workforce, I don't know how any of the major companies would be able to succeed because it really up and down our business, you know, whether it be the technical groups or the maintenance groups, or even our director of operations, a Latino background. So it's all up and down our business. And I know it's the same for many of the other businesses. And like you said, that creates the whole community support system. just like in Richfield where you're really got kind of a whole group that works together and they're trying to develop that. I think Faribo has done a really good job of integrating everyone together. And it would just the, the businesses would not work, the community would not work with we weren't all working together so well.
3: Thank you very much. That's really amazing. And well, I don't know if there is any additional comment. But I just want to say that I really thank Global Minnesota for organizing this event. Uh, I, have, I haven't I have said that, but I have the honor to be a member of your board of directors. So that's a huge honor for me. And I really want to thank Global Minnesota and all our speakers. I don't know if we have any question or additional comment.
0: Well, I guess I could just uh, say that you know, the, the health and, and the well-being and having a strong and thriving Latino community in Minnesota is crucial to the success um, of our entire state, and I think that that's extremely clear hearing from every single panelist, um, and so I would just invite, you know, every organization, company, Um, group out there who's interested in doing that to connect with all of these folks um, because if we want a thriving Minnesota that means we need to have thriving Latino community in our state as well.
5: I think that's one thing I'd like to express also we're all willing to reach out to the community if community has any questions any of that we would gladly share our experiences and go in more in depth and how the Latino community has made a huge difference in all our lives.
6: I would just like to reminisce a little bit because I, I, I have been here for a long time. I came here to go to college and uh, when uh, when, I, when I came here to Minnesota, I, I thought I was really the only Mexican in the state. I'm sure it wasn't the truth, you know, but that was really the case. I, I, felt, uh, I felt like there was a, um, it was like unknown territory for Mexicans and, uh, anyway, so, uh, how the landscape has changed is just tremendous and, uh, all for the better. And I'm just so excited to see how our community is starting to thrive and be absorbed by the economy of the state and, uh, everything else that is going on right now, the consciousness of, uh, you know, that, uh, we have, um, this inequalities in the state as, uh, as the mayor said, uh, it's really something that we need to work on, but uh, exciting opportunities ahead of us.
7: Uh, yeah, I'd like to just add that uh, these kinds of conversations are uh, are very important for our communities because they really start shaping a different narrative of who we are. They also um, allow for us to think and propose with facts, with figures, with uh, information, like the one that we received today from Bruce Corey and many other studies uh, about the crucial um, contributions that we make and the crucial investments in our communities, particularly the youth, we were talking about that. And so drafting that narrative is in our hands And that's how we need to continue uh, contributing uh, by working all together across sectors. And um, as MCLA, uh, we will be more than pleased all the time to raise those concerns to whomever needs to be uh, informed and uh, related
1: to. I know one of the things that came out of our discussion is how statewide, how um, throughout the entire state, the Latino community has become more and more important. So it's not just, you know, kind of concentrated in the big cities. But it feels to me like that's one of the things in that broader message about one Minnesota, that if we think about, you know, the Paul Wellstone quote about, you know, we all do better when we all do better. but. Dr. Corey, you gave us some real facts and figures on that. It seems like this applies statewide and applies across all who are coming here for better lives or to save their lives. Um, uh, You've been looking at this statewide and deeply for quite a while. is there a bright future out there? You, you, you are uh, one of the most articulate people, and you also see the progress year by year. Yes, uh, uh, I hope you can hear me. I'm on a on perfect, a, okay. perfect. Yeah. Okay. So
4: I think the place to start. I'm optimistic if we can get the right our, our act together. Uh, when when I look at uh, the legislative districts in Minnesota. There are 125 legislative districts that have at least 100 million in our minority economic interests that they represent. So we have the power and the votes if people are willing to do something about it. The first thing that people should do, and this is what we spell out in the uh, Minnesota solution, and and you can find it on on my website, empoweringstrategies.org. But the first thing is to recognize the value that our communities bring to Minnesota. So in this case, the Latino community uh, from the 12 billion to the $317 billion uh, asset base that they are currently offering and the future of the young people, this portfolio of youth and their talent, that how Minnesota invests in this talent today is going to make a critical difference of how we are going to progress in the future. So there are some things that can be done with uh, political will, and I was I was very encouraged hearing Mayor uh, talk about uh, good work that is done in Richfield about changing critical pieces of the of the city and of the state, so that uh, we can unleash this energy that's so vibrant. Whether it's a cultural destination area on Lake Street, or whether it is people working in a food processing plant, or whether Person is a high tech engineer, uh, there are so many different ways that uh, our communities can make Minnesota uh, really uh, the best, one of the best places in the world. So I'm 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 uh, I'm working towards it every day, and in particularly these days, uh, from the perspective of, of our own communities offering our talents and resources uh, to make things happen.
1: Well. Tonight's panel, your uh, broad and deep perspective has given our viewers and the many, many viewers who will see this over the next year as part of the Global Minnesota Archive, uh, always on that YouTube, uh, I think it encourages us to keep moving ahead that there'll be challenges, there'll be bumps in the road, COVID, who knew? But what we have is a lot of good examples married to really courageous, persistent, and resilient people. And so all of you spoke about that, but all of you have demonstrated that through your own lives and your own contribution to the state. And um, on behalf of Global Minnesota, I wanna thank all of you for not only this evening and your time and your expertise, your wisdom, your experiences, but for what you've contributed to our state over these 70 some years at Global Minnesota We've been focusing on connecting Minnesotans to the world and the world to Minnesota because we believe that is the most powerful tool for creating a bright future, a brighter future for our children and those who come behind us, those who come here from other parts of the planet. And Consul uh, uh, Guerrero, your wisdom to suggest and to help make this evening happen uh, is a reflection of your leadership in the whole community. And I want to thank you again personally, and I want to turn the program over to you for final words. Thank you very much, Mark, and
3: I really want to thank all of our speakers because, as you mentioned before, uh, their, their expertise and their point of view is very important for us, and I really hope that the auditorium that we had tonight, that they really changed maybe their minds about uh, the migrants. Uh, you know, uh, as I mentioned before, uh, we need to understand migration. We need to understand the phenomenon the phenomenon itself. And we really understand the causes that why people came to this country. It's not just looking for a better life. Maybe they are escaping or they are trying to save their lives. But always uh, we need to see uh, migra- m- migrants uh, immigrants as an asset, as an opportunity. Uh, when I uh, arrived to Minnesota almost five years ago, I always say that I was really impressed by people like you that try to be more inclusive, more tolerant, and to you know encourage people to, to, to follow this path. So the only thing I can say is I really thank uh, Global Minnesota, I thank Mark, and I thank all, uh, all our speakers. and. For sure, uh, uh, it's the the effort and the job that you do for the Latino community in the state of Minnesota is really amazing. And Please uh, consider the Mexican Consulate in St. Paul as an ally, as a support to keep working together.
1: So thank you very much. Thank you so much. And thank you, everybody, all who joined us this evening. We look forward to seeing you again at another program. And thank you for all you do every day to make Minnesota stronger more equitable, more diverse, more prosperous for those who will come behind us. Thank you and good evening, wherever you are watching.